How lucky can one guy be? I kissed her and she kissed me. Like the fella once said, ain't that a kick in the head? Good day and welcome to Theology in the Dirt. We want to make sure we practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. We record Theology in the Dirt from Global Impact Restoration Rome where we work to address the foster care adoption crisis in northwest Georgia, the state of Georgia, the southeast, and the world as we practice our theology in the public square. You can check out Restoration Rome by going to restorationrome.org. My name is Mitchell Jolly. And I'm Chris Hayes. And we appreciate you guys listening. Let's get some news. Well, Chris, in some of my headlines, I have the Taliban has killed the suspected architect of the August 2021 attack at the Kabul airport. They killed 13 United States service members and more than 150 Afghans. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said Tuesday the terrorist was associated with the ISIS-K, an Islamic State affiliate operating in Afghanistan and a Taliban rival. American officials said the U.S. was not involved in the operation against an individual whose name remains classified. And Iran-linked hacking group breached a U.S. city's website before the 2020 election, possibly uh, intending to alter unofficial vote tallies on the website on Election Day. Uh, Army Major General William J. Hartman, head of the U.S. Cyber Command Cyber National Mission Force, said at a cybersecurity event Tuesday, Hartman added that the U.S. booted the hackers before they could do any harm. Washington Governor J. Inslee, a Democrat, signed a law Tuesday banning the sale, manufacture, and distribution of 50 kinds of semi-automatic weapons, making his the 10th state to ban assault weapons. Second Amendment Foundation has filed a federal lawsuit challenging the jurisdictions. And by the way, if I stab you with a knife, that's an assault weapon. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense. Anyway, I'm going to move on before I begin to comment. If I hit you with a hammer, it's an assault weapon. If I hit you with my fist, it's assault. Needless to say, my last... <laughs> There's a joke about a salt shaker in there somewhere that I <laughs> yeah. probably should let go. Can anybody tell what I think about that news headline? Supreme Court Chief <laughs> Justice John Roberts declined Tuesday to testify before Senate Judiciary Committee... After Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, the Democrat chair of this committee, uh, invited uh, Roberts to speak at a hearing scheduled for May 2nd to discuss instituting ethical standards for Supreme Court justices. Testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee by Chief Justice of the United States is exceedingly rare, as one might expect in light of the separation of powers, concerns, and importance of preserving judicial independence. And those are my headlines. Nice. So despite some hilarious rumors, Disney World is not moving to Atlanta, and they're not making a Gone with the Wind ride, as has been. And yes, that's part of the rumors. That the, is that a real rumor? There was some real rumors that Disney World was going to move to Atlanta. Uh, Why, frankly, my dear, I don't. <laughs> you could fill in the, the mic, the rest. It's a kid show. <laughs> not really a kid show, but you get it. Right. Um, but they are suing their own governor, Ron DeSantis, uh, saying he targeted a campaign of government control over their ability to build on land in the Orlando area. And there's been a lot of back and forth. But really, the feud started after Disney publicly denounced his parental rights and education law. 
which was the whole like don't say gay thing that was you know not too long ago. Terrible uh, title, which was untrue. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what they they, yeah. they titled it, which again, it, if, you know, hey, what happened if we re- read a little bit? Um, <laughs> anyway, read. I just thought it was funny that people thought they were really just going to pick up and move to Atlanta mm. and build Disney World here. Although that would make it easier for many of us to get there. That True. Would be a much shorter drive. True. And cost a little bit less because we could stay at home and just drive there. But and if you went in the summer, it wouldn't stand feel like you're standing on the surface of the sun. No, it would be like. Close, but not quite there. <laughs> maybe Mercury, right? Maybe Mercury. Um, I just, I, but again, I was like, why? Why would they move to another conservative state if that's if because they're, right. they're obviously Disney's politics are big part of this. Um, right. And although I don't think it would surprise me that they would just give up millions and billions of dollars just to make a political point that. I don't think that would shock me, actually. (laughs) Right, right. But they're not moving to Atlanta. Mm. If anything, they would move just everything out west to California. Yeah, just combine, like, land and world. Which one is world? Which one's land? World is Florida. Land is Anaheim, right around the corner where we were last summer. that's right. That's right. We were were right there. Well, that's a nice piece of news. Yeah, I thought I would just share that. I appreciate you sharing that, man. That's good news. Now you guys can say you're truly educated. Get the whole gamut, Assault Weapons and Disney World. <laughs> That's right. Well, now it's time for the show. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's time for the final countdown. The show starts in 10. Well, guys, we want to uh, today uh, take a few minutes and we want to talk about an event that happened this week uh, that I find absolutely fascinating. I really, this is Theology in the Dirt episode number 82, as you can tell by our fancy sign. And I don't know really what the title of this one. We're talking, we kind of had the theme, the Christian life and and wrestling around with just issues. One of the issues I, I came across this week is I watched uh, early Monday morning, I watched a video clip of Tucker Carlson um, that I just found on Twitter, the Heritage Foundation the speech is a 26 minute and some odd second speech. It's fat. It's worth listening to the whole speech. He says some good stuff. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a regular listener to Tucker Carlson. Um, uh, I don't regularly listen to any, uh, cable news source. I read most of my news I get, um, because I'm entertainment is not news. You can make news entertaining, but entertainment is not news. And most of what is on cable news is entertainment disguised as news. It's, um, you get information, we get information very slanted already, and I'm not interested in getting slanted information. I have a worldview that neither major network matches. <laughs> so I'm a Christian, uh, and uh, conservative does not equal Christian. Liberal does not equal Christian. Christian equals Christian. Right. <laughs> and uh, there are things worth conserving. There are things not worth conserving. Uh, there are things uh, we ought to be liberal about, love, be be love love well um but there are things you know so anyway i'm 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 a follower of jesus christ the bible is uh my standard um and so anyway i i listened to it because i was fascinated by it um and 
what happened later in the day, I had no clues. Dude gets gets released uh, from from Fox News. And there's all kind of speculation, and we're not here to speculate about that. But what I want us to do is listen to the clip. It's like six minutes and some seconds. And so uh, what you're going to have available is I want you to watch it. We're going to do the six-minute clip. And then uh, I truly don't have a ton of notes. What I find fascinating about Carlson is how he, uh, I think, properly and correctly diagnoses his faith background. But he speaks very clearly to something that many in our world um, won't do. And so I found that this this juxtaposition of what he sees in his faith background versus what he said is, is I think, very convicting to me. And so I think it's worth listening to. So we want you to listen yeah. to it, and then we'll come back and, and comment on it. it. It might be time to start to reassess the terms we use to, <laughs> to describe what we're watching. So when I started at Heritage, the presumption was, and this is a very Anglo-American assumption, that the debates we're having are kind of rational debates about the way to get to mutually agreed upon outcomes. Right? So like we all want the country to be more prosperous and free and people to be less oppressed or whatever. And so we're going to argue about tax rates. And I think higher tax gets, gets us there. I'm a Keynesian and you disagree or an Austrian or whatever. But the objective is the same. And so we write our papers and they write their papers and may the best papers win. I, I, I don't think that's what we're watching now at all. I don't think we're watching a debate over how to get to the best outcome. I think that's completely wrong. And I've come to this conclusion, not, and I should say at the outset, I'm an Episcopalian, so don't take any theological advice from me because I don't have any. I grew up in the foul, shallowest faith tradition that's ever been invented. It's not even a Christian religion at this point. Um, I say with shame. But I'm just saying this as an observer of what's going on. There is no way to assess, say, the transgenderist movement with that mindset. Policy papers don't account for it at all. If you have people who are saying, I have an idea, let's castrate the next generation. Let's sexually mutilate children. I'm sorry, that's not a political debate. What? It has nothing to do with politics. What's the outcome we're desiring here? An androgynous population? Is that really what we are? We arguing for that? I don't, I don't think anyone could like, defend that as a positive outcome. But the weight of the government and uh, you know, a lot of corporate interests are behind that. Well, what is that? Well, it's irrational. If you say, well, you know, I think abortion is always bad. Well, I think sometimes it's necessary. That's a debate I'm familiar with. But if you're telling me that abortion is a positive good, what are you saying? Well, you're arguing for child sacrifice, obviously. It's not about like, oh, a teen, you know, a teen girl gets pregnant, and what do we do about that, and victims of rape. I, you know, I get it. I, of course I understand that, and I have compassion for everyone involved. But when the Treasury Secretary stands up and says, you know what you can do to help the economy get an abortion? Well, you, that's like an Aztec principle, actually. There's not a society in history that didn't practice human sacrifice. Not one. I checked. Even the Scandinavians, I'm ashamed to say. It wasn't just the Mesoamericans. It was everybody. So like, that's what that is. Well, what's the point of child sacrifice? Well, there's no policy goal entwined with that. No, that's a theological phenomenon. And that's kind of the point I'm making. None of this makes sense in conventional political terms. When people or crowds of people, or the largest crowd of people at all, which is the federal government, the largest human organization in human history, decide that the goal is to destroy things, destruction for its own sake, hey, let's tear it down. 
what you're watching is not a political movement, it's evil. So if you want to assess, and I'll put it in non, and I'll stop with this, I'll put it in non, I'll put it in non-political, uh, or non, rather non-specific theological terms, and just say, if you want to know what's evil and what's good, what are the characteristics of those? And by the way, you know, I, I think the Athenians would have agreed with this. This is not necessarily just a Christian notion. This is kind of a, I would say, widely agreed upon understanding of good and evil. What are its products? What do these two conditions produce? Well, I mean, good is characterized by order, calmness, tranquility, peace, whatever you want to call it, lack of conflict, cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's true. It is. And evil is characterized by their opposites. Violence, hate, disorder, division, disorganization, and filth. So if you are all in on the things that produce the latter basket of outcomes, what you're really advocating for is evil. That's just true. I'm not calling for religious war, far from it. I'm merely calling for an acknowledgement of what we're watching, which is not what, and I'm not, certainly not backing the Republican Party. I mean, ugh. I'm not making a partisan point at all. I'm, I'm just noting what's super obvious. Like those of us who are in our mid-50s are caught in the past in the way that we think about this. One side's like, no, 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 you know, I've got this idea and we've got this idea and let's have a debate about our ideas. They don't want a debate. Those ideas won't produce outcomes that any rational person would want under any circumstances. Those are manifestations of some larger force acting upon us. It's just so obvious. It's completely obvious. And I think two things. One, we should say that and stop engaging in these totally fraudulent debates where we are using the terms that we used in 1991 when I started at Heritage as if maybe, you know, I could just win the debate if I marshaled more facts. I've tried that, doesn't work. And two, Maybe we should all take just like 10 minutes a day to say a prayer about it. I'm serious. Like, why not? And I'm saying that to you, not as some kind of evangelist. I'm literally saying that to you as an Episcopalian, the Samaritans of our time. I'm coming to you from the most humble and lowly theological position you can. I'm literally an Episcopalian, okay? And even I have concluded it might be worth taking just 10 minutes out of your busy schedule to say a prayer for the future, and I hope you will. Well, I think something's very interesting there. Um, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, there is. The, the first thing I, I want to acknowledge uh, is that he is self-aware enough to recognize his theological tradition is very aberrant to what is Orthodox Christianity. Kudos to him for saying that. Yeah. Props, because it'd be easy to just uh, pretend that uh, that uh, the Episcopalian Church has a standard Orthodox position on those issues, particularly he's referencing um, abortion and transgenderism. So he recognizes in his words... We're the Samaritans 
with Samaritans of 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 the uh, of the theological spectrum. I love that he even said, "Look, I, I'm again, I'm I'm Episcopalian, so so check my theology." But he recognizes on both of those issues, Chris. This is huge. That these are not these are not policy issues, but they're being driven by policy makers that are being driven by industry. And if we can't see that that is a theological issue, woe to us. Woe to us. So so that's my first that's my first takeaway from this is he recognizes that there this is not a policy issue. And and I think I think what's easy to do is for is for us to not see that. See that there is no because that's what politics is. I mean, we have a we have a podcast episode earlier on about what is politics. Politics is politics. It's it's really about the system of how local, state, and federal governments do what's best for everybody. That's that's what politics is. Politics isn't playing games for power. Politics is the the function of compromise to get best solutions and best outcomes for everybody. There is no political end. There is no common good end to any of those two issues. They are economic, industry-driven, but being driven by a political machine. And, And as he said, these are not politics. These are theological issues. And for the theological Samaritan to call it out feels very... Uh, very ironic. Yeah, it really does. And I think it's easy to, like you said, it's either to, to just ignore the fact that there's a theological underlying there or we just simply don't want to acknowledge it. Uh, yeah. we, uh, just people in general. Right. Um, I, you know, I admittedly am not a big follower of either of those networks either. I just, anything political now, I just, I assume it's just a straight lie or at best, it's a gross exaggeration of truth. And, and I really think that's the issue here is, well, what is truth anymore? Because I feel like the bigger issue happening is we are being told something is a truth, and then people are just taking it as truth. Right. right? If, it's, if it's on the internet, if it's said by someone who should be trustworthy, if it is marketed as truth, then, well, that's just it. Believe it, or you... You know, or, and then you, there's this long list of things. Well, if you don't believe this, then you are the problem, or you are this, you are that, and that's just. Yeah, I think you said it in five words earlier. Um, you know that your standard of truth is the Bible, right? And that's yeah. we've got away from that. Yeah, and that used to, that's our country was built on that. Yeah, whether we want to acknowledge that or not, and we're in a place now where truth is based on perception, and it's based on just driven by those things. Like you said, it's driven by economy, it's driven by industry, it's driven by what will appease the party in power. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and here's, here's, uh, here's part of the danger here. The the Bible is our standard of truth and the Bible affirms for us that, and tells us that all of creation and, and how God put it together from the dirt all the way to human beings, to the sky screams the glory of God. So, so we can observe true things in creation and the Bible is a standard by which we know that. And so um, what has happened to this issue is these issues, particularly the abortion issue and this 
I feel like the whole transgender issue, it was there. It's, it's been there. Right. But I feel like in the past two years, we went from zero to 60 miles an hour in about two seconds. Like, the, it became the issue. And, um, and it's being touted as a policy issue when, in fact, in this way, he said it's a, it's a truth issue. It's a, it's a theological issue. And, and what I find interesting here in, in all of this, and I love his comment about the Republican Party, certainly not advocating for them, and he was kind of, yuck. Because here's what has been revealed in this whole thing is what has happened to Christians um, since, I would say, the Reagan era on. Christians have been pandered to by a party who recognized a very large voting block. Mm-hmm. And there has been no overturn of Roe v. Wade by that party. It took the man that Washington couldn't wait to get rid of that none of us really like to actually get movement on that issue. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? And so and so all of these people we tout as great conservatives and great people that the Christians should vote for did nothing. They said things, but they did absolutely nothing. And 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 Part of the reason is because for them, they took a theological issue and made it a political issue to keep power as opposed to actually making a dent for for the positive. And he just flat out calls it out. Mm-hmm. He flat out calls it out. He's not a panderer for the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. He's just speaking things that are true. And so I find I find that that fascinating uh, also. Another thing hidden here, I think, beneath the surface is that in evangelical culture, which we're part of evangelical culture, and historically, evangelicalism, uh, the term evangelical is rooted out of the New Testament word for the uh, for evangelizing. So it, you evangelical, uh, the good news, euangelion, evangelism, evangelical, um, was a term coined to counteract the... Um, fundamentalist movement um, to kind of replace it. So the authors of that would be the Billy Grahams who had a, a biblical orthodoxy, a conservative, clearly a theological conservative bent. Um, and so all of us, I think, who would identify as conservative Christians, um, we would identify as evangelical. Um, so if you don't know what that term means, now you kind of know what that term, term means, where it came from. But people in our block were not the mainstream denominations are left. They are not evangelical. They, you know, you're, you're mainstream, like your Episcopalians, uh, um, those, those kind of folks, uh, very left. We would be right of center evangelicals. There are some evangelicals who are in the middle, but by and large, evangelicalism has avoided these two issues. probably not abortion so much, but particularly transgenderism for the sake of appearing to be loving. Correct. And we have picked up other issues and been willing to talk about them, but left these alone. In fact, abortion has fallen on hard times in many evangelical circles because we feel like we're isolating people. And, And I think what he does here is he just calls out the reality that these are bad things for humanity. They're theological issues, and they're being driven by political agendas as opposed to issues of truth. Like, there's no good end. Like, when, when our attorney general says, you want to help the economy, go get an abortion, and he said that. Mm-hmm. Like, 
this is a theological issue being driven by political entities, and they've invaded our space. And so what I would say to evangelicals is don't be afraid to speak up about um, the right to life and the right to be emotionally healthy and see yourself as male or female the way God made you and not seek to mutilate yourself um, for the sake of something going off in your soul and in your mind. Um, these are theological issues. There is no good end. An androgynous population does humanity no good. Absolutely. And I, I think we, we've got to get past this candy coating that's been placed on a lot of these things. Yeah. You know, it's even in the words, right? We, we, we've become pro-life. Well, the opposite of pro-life is pro-death. Like you can't just call it pro-choice and make it sound pretty. Right. Um, I, I appreciate what he said. Cause I, it's, and I think the problem is because everything is so bent hard right, hard left right now, right. and everything's just been mashed together. So there's no more now. There's no more Christian or non-Christian. There is, uh, there is only right or left. Right. And, and everything else has to fall into one of those categories. Right. And that's the to me the biggest issue at hand here. Um, right. And that's why the two party system is a joke itself, right? Um, because everything is just bent that way. And but I appreciated it when he was talking about that, saying because he he brought up what the counter argument is a lot the the rape, the incest, right? Um, the you know some of those issues. I don't I don't think it's wrong to have those conversations and listen to people on those things. I'm not against having that conversation either. Sure, I'm not for abortion at any point. Um, but at the same time, I could understand that argument. Yeah. What I can't understand is you using that argument to justify all abortions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's where we there needs to be more speaking up about it. It's saying, hey, we're willing to listen to you, but we're not willing to be said. It, it, let me put it this way, too, because I think this is another hot-button topic now is gun control. Mm-hmm. And the belief is that if you are a Christian and you're from the South and you like guns, that if you are not for guns being taken away or or people should never be able to own assault rifle, which AR-15s are not assault rifles. That does not stand for... AR <laughs> stands for Armalite. It's a uh, platform that existed prior to the military adopting it at the Vietnam War. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that was well said. But again, I'm just, I've had this problem with like, and I don't own a gun, but I'm not against guns either. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't think, I think there's a place for them. Um, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to dive into that topic. What I'm trying to get at is you, someone who believes that having guns are okay is not causing school shootings and not okay right. with them. And we've got to get past this whole concept of for or against. Right. And, and, and then just believing in all these candy coated coverings that yeah. particularly the, the far left is doing, but the right is doing the same now as well. Yeah. And that's, and it just, I find myself just, yeah. I'm glad we used that kick in the head song to, to intro yeah. today because that's really what it feels like. It's like I can't have a conversation because no, a no one's going to listen, right? And b, no matter what you say, there's just no right ground to stand on in those areas. No, one of the things you you start edging into it there in in your comments is um, those of us. I'm 50. He's in his mid 50s. Um, the days of a debate are over. Like like the tactic of sitting down and, and trying to figure out the merits between two points is just about dead. What has happened is the that's that's kind of what I mean when I say this thing's gone from zero to sixty in about two seconds. Is it did used to be about um, let's sit down. You're you're 
I'm pro-life, uh, you're pro-choice. Let's discuss the merits of our position. That doesn't exist anymore. Now the theological issue has come down to <coughs> it being an absolute uh, declaration that we're pro-death, and if you're not pro-death, you are anti-human, and you're anti-rights, and you're you're anti-all these things, and with zero discussion. So, so the discussion days are over. What it is now is a vilification. What we do now is we vilify people who want to preserve life. We vilify people who want to produce binary sexuality, which, by the way, what are the LGBTQ plus people going to do with a B in their B acronym or whatever that thing is, right? Because we're talking about binary acknowledges that there's only two sexes. So if you're going to be like binary and the T's are against the B's, so you're going to have that kind of infighting, right? You're going to make it LGQT plus, right? And so, so, so what it is now, if you don't accept those things, if you don't accept those long line of letters, you're anti-human. You can't be trusted. You can't be um, allowed to speak. You can't be allowed to hold public office. And and you're against freedom, and so and so those days of debate are dead. And so what's going to have to happen for us? And and this is kind of and I want to hear your comments further. But what we're going to have to do as as Christians is begin to get serious about how we engage those issues and speak to them, but speak to them with a biblical standard. And I, I think that that's worthy of a little bit of discussion of how do we begin to address this if we can't have dialogue with people. Um meaningful point for point respectful dialogue. and I think we can I think certain people still try to do that but I think Carlson's point is well said at the level of the high level of government and at the high level of what's happening in the airwaves and in social media the debate's dead it's accepted or you're evil and and so I think we need to have a discussion about how we as Christians begin to engage that and speak to that no, I think that's an important one. I, you know, going back, our last our last topic was on consumer Christianity, and to kind of revisit that a little bit because I think this part applies here. Is I think, and we didn't really get into this much, but the fact is, churches and pastors, in large part, aren't talking about hard things anymore, uh, especially a lot of the big mega churches. Um, and I think this is part of the problem. It's easier to do self help and feel good sermons. Uh, but ignore really hard things like sin, spiritual warfare, abortion, orphan care, abuse, and so on, because uh, you know we don't want to offend. We want to keep having people come to our thing. And to me, that's part of where it starts. Is there needs, and I don't, not, and I want to be careful. I'm not trying to put the onus of all this on strictly onto to pastors. I think right. people need to do this on their own as well, and need to be aware and need to educate themselves. But I also think it's important we can't ignore the difficult conversations because if we're doing that, then we're not preparing people in the public square to be able to have those conversations effectively, and we're not we're, we're and we're basically telling them those aren't important, uh, in, in my opinion on that. And yeah. so I, I think that's a part of the issue yep. is ignoring those things and not preparing people to go engage with truth. Yeah, because we've said that truth is not important because we're going to offend folks. Uh, but the gospel's pretty offensive, yeah. and the truth is offensive to that. And the truth, from the standard of Scripture, is anti everything that is going on. Um, 
cancel culture does not line up with scripture, nor does the political bends left and right that we're facing. Um, truth is, is black or white, yes, but it's not left or right. <laughs> if anything, it's north and south. And uh, um, that may be a, a silly way to put it, but uh, until we get to that point where we're willing to have those discussions in a place like the church where it should be safe to have those, it's like someone should feel safe, not even just in the sermon, but just to walk into a pastor's office or call him on the phone and say, I'm struggling with how to have these conversations. Can you help me or can you at least point me in the right direction? And I don't know that that's always the case because if they're never hearing that, then I don't think they're going to be open to going and finding that. And maybe that's where it needs to start is within. And then we can go out and attack those lack of truths in the public square. Yeah, no, that's good. All right, so I have... <clears throat> I have five five things to I think help a little bit here, um, and um, number one, we have to be careful with our tone. Uh, this isn't my number one. I'm setting up my number my number one kind of takeaway here. Um, we have to be careful with our tone. Yeah, um, tone is a challenge for me, um, so I have to be careful with my tone. But so I say this gently. Uh, but at the same time, passionately, you can be passionate and still be gentle. Those two things can be held in tension. So gently and passionately and prophetically say true things about everything. That was the title of the little blog post I made Monday. Is it say true things all the time. Yeah. So we need to gently and powerfully and prophetically and passionately say true things about everything. We can't be cherry pickers on issues and leave certain things alone for fear that we're going to isolate people from attending our worship services. Can Just newsflash, folks don't attend now. People no. who call themselves Christians, who are members of our church, don't attend about half the time. Much less people that we're afraid are just going to walk up to our building. Might they? Sure. Do they? No. And so... Um, and so for fear of keeping someone from attending a service should never be a reason to not say something that's true. Um, is this stuff hard? You bet it's hard. Is it emotional and gut-wrenching? You bet it is. But we need to speak gently, passionately, prophetically and about everything uh, and say true things about everything because everything under under the universe was created by God and, and is... And, and has truth to be said about it. What is, this is why we, we've been asking and answering these questions. What is creation? Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is Holy Spirit? What is the church? What is salvation? What is the good news? All these things matter. Who is man? Now, everything in creation has a true answer to it. And, it, and, and, and we either, we have, we have to do that. So when I say speak prophetically, I, I want to demystify that for a second. Because sometimes I think speak prophetically, sometimes people mean speak loudly. And that's not what speak prophetically is. Speak prophetically means speak like the prophets. The prophets in the Old Testament, they how did they speak? They said, this is what the Lord says. Depending on the translation, says, thus says the Lord. So a prophet was a person sent by the Lord to speak God's word rightly, to speak it truthfully. And so speaking prophetically is say about it what God says about it, and don't be ashamed of that. God is not for transgenderism. Um, biologically, God... Psalm 139 tells us that all of our days were created for us or were ordained for us before there was yet one of them. 
And the Bible teaches us that God is creator and that as creator, he works with the co-regents, image bearers, in the procreation process under the confines of marriage to create. And he determines the outcomes of those babies. And so um, their identity sexually is determined genetically by God and through this process of procreation. Um, and anything that stands in the way of that is not because they're not male or female. It's because of sociological, theological, family systems contagion that is affecting the soul and the mind. Now, are there real issues? You bet there are. Are there rare occasions biologically, medically, where things happen? You bet there are. But those are exceptions, not the rule. Right. As we've talked about before, the, the graph on this issue just in the last couple of years has not, it's not gone up and down. It's skyrocketed, which I'm, I'm, I'm firmly convinced the mental state and emotional health of people post-COVID has a lot to do with going from zero to 60 on this issue. The forced lockdowns, the forced out of school, like we were, we were, we were trending delicately already yeah. because of the pace of life and people just weren't doing good already. And the forced trauma on people of COVID, I think sent people over the edge. And I, I think that has a lot to do with it, but that's a whole nother issue of backtracking and admitting that that was all wrong. Yeah. And that was completely all wrong. And, and the fallout now, economically, emotionally, spiritually, theologically, is off the charts. But we have to speak to those things. Um, and this is 1.2, uh, so down the line. Um, sermons on Sunday morning is not the place for that. Yeah. Um, the sermons on Sunday morning are for holding forth the Word of God and saying what the Bible says, not giving a political speech yes. or giving a worldview lesson. So I just want people to understand that. Like, we're not going to do that in our church. We're going to let the Bible speak. And when the Bible speaks to those things, we will address them. But the Bible is going to speak to some big issues. Uh, and, and we do that. We know People know that we do that in our church. And so this has to happen in the public square, which is my last point. But, but before people get to the public square, there has to be some manner of equipping. And so we have to help provide that for them. So that, that's going to – I'm going to talk about that in just a second. So number two, receive anyone in good faith who will dialogue. So if someone will dialogue, <coughs> receive them in good faith yeah. um, and sit down with them. Um, my hunch is those days are dying quickly. Um, here's, here's what I think is going to happen. I think that the Christian position is going to be marginalized, and I think, I think we are probably close to days of receiving a legitimate marginalization in the form of probably physical violence and, and even um, political passive aggression um i'm not a i'm not a foreseer <laughs> uh, i can't see the future but the trend is for those of us who are bible believing evangelical christians if we speak against these issues or we speak up for god's perspective um it's hard marginal hard marginalization and and here's how you know we have an issue um when the transgender shooter at the Christian school has a manifesto about their transgenderism, but they won't release the manifesto like they did with other people's. Right. My hunch is um, we're going to be targeted for more of that stuff. Um, and, and so, um, well, they kind of martyred that shooter in a way yeah. publicly in the media. Yeah. Um, putting the focus on, on her as yeah. opposed to yeah. the victims. And that was, 
equal parts not surprising and disappointing. Yeah, that's exactly right. So receive anyone with good faith who wants to speak. But at the same time, expect this to get harder. Don't expect this to get easier. I don't expect us uh, to win this immediately. Yeah, This is going to be a long, uh, drawn-out um, process of standing for what's true in that issue. Third, begin to address it and provide internal dialogue to address the challenge. Um, we, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to take the onus here. Part of, part of it will be this podcast exists primarily for our, our people. Um, other, we have other audiences all over the world, people who listen. I'm grateful for that, so don't misunderstand. This is for you too, but I want our people to be able to tune in here. This resource is for our people to be able to have access to some manner of dialogue so we can address these things. Because, again, that's not what the Sunday morning sermon is for. Right. Historically, uh, biblically, in, in Orthodox Christianity, the Sunday morning sermon is for preaching the Bible, not having political discussions, um, not having worldview discussions. We do Sunday morning teaching. We do we do other things outside of the sermon, but we have to get even more intentional and targeted about addressing these things and making making that content available. And so I, I am pledging to talk more about it here. Uh, I'm going to address it more on some of our Sunday morning teachings because we have to be prepared. I was having a discussion yesterday with some of, uh, some of our folks um, that work in our church, work, in, work with students, and, and one of the things... Uh, we need to probably do is begin to train our students to be prepared to address worldview issues. And I taught worldview for 10 years. I taught apologetics for 10 years and theology at the college level. And, um, and so I'm passionate about that stuff. And so I was given some resources. Here's some resources you can go and take advantage of that we can put in the hands of our students to help them think about these major issues in regard to how every worldview on the face of the planet sees them. And our students need to know that. They need to know when they hear these arguments, oh, this is a transcendental worldview and this is how transcendentalism sees man. Or this is a, this is a Marxist view and this is how Marxist sees humans. Or this is the theology of Marxism. Yes, Marxism has a theology. And so, and so we, we have to prepare. We have to prepare. So we've got to address and provide the dialogue to address challenges. Fourth, train. Again, this is sort of redundant, so we talked about the whole church, but we've got to train students to think critically. Um, we can't just indoctrinate. Part of the job of, of the church is to teach doctrine, mm-hmm. to, to indoctrinate uh, Christian orthodoxy. But along with that is critical thinking skills. Like you have to be able to take something and work it out in your mind to its natural conclusion and then be able to backtrack that into solutions. That is a process that right now, currently, modern education is not pulling off critical thinking. It's more digital, go go take this information, regurgitate it on this document or on the multiple choice quiz. That's not critical thinking. Our kids are going to have to learn to read. They're going to have to learn to listen to clips like that because we are in an age of visual technology. So you're going to have to learn to listen to people's words and parse those words. And so part of critical thinking is, is, is reading words and listening to words and parsing. What did the author mean? What did the speaker mean when they said? So I'm, I would invite anybody to listen to that Tucker Carlson clip and parse his words. When he called his faith background the Samaritans, what did he mean by that? Yeah. And what is he saying in application to that moment in a 26-minute speech? That's critical thinking, right? Um, um, What did he mean when he said this isn't a policy issue, this is a theological issue? Well, what is policy? What is policy for? What does policy exist for in the governing process? 
What is a theological issue? Is there a place for merging policy and theology? Great question, right? Yeah. And so we have to teach our kids to begin to think like that. I'm convinced most most of our church members don't don't think like that. And I'm not I'm not pooping on Three Rivers people. I think Three Rivers people do that pretty good because we we kind of talk like this a lot. But folks I run into in the community don't think like this. They think right, they think left, or they think um, crazy theological positions. Like the 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 nut job theological positions that are presented as orthodoxy are rampant mm-hmm. in Christian subculture, and so our students have to be prepared to cr- think critically. And finally, we got to be in the public. We cannot hide. This is not time to go hide in a Bible study. This is the time to be in the public. Get a job. Get a job in public, get to know people, speak to issues. Is it hard? God, yes, it's hard. You look in the eyes of a person who's wrestling with this stuff, the, it's hard to be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Compassion grows because it's a human being who's legitimately struggling. But if we're isolated from folks and don't get to know folks, we will speak meanly and foolishly and unnecessary harshly because our ideas are disconnected from people. But when you know people who've had abortions um, and regret it, it tempers your words. It doesn't change the position. The position is God's position, thus says the Lord. But how you approach those people changes because they're people. Um. When you have somebody who hates their sexual identity and they don't know why, um, you can't be mad at them. You're compassionate for them. And my hunch is if you get in the soul of every single one of these people, you wouldn't find an angry activist. You'd find a, a kid that's hurt somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the Proverbs say that to, to one, uh, everything bitter is sweet because they've lacked sweetness i think people who find bitter things sweet it's because somewhere in their past there's a lack of sweet things yeah and so be in public but be prepared to be in public and be with people and express compassion i'm convinced that that's how jesus did it jesus reserved his harshest words for the religious the theological um theologically orthodox that were completely isolated from people who were beset with sin he was his most merciful to the sinners, but by no means did he compromise the truth. Go and don't sin anymore. Yeah. And the and, and the man blind, don't sin anymore or something worse might happen to you. He was there was no lack of prophetic word in Jesus. He warned him, you don't want to go to hell, don't do this anymore. But go. Right? That that's the tone to strike. Um, I find it I'll, I'll close with this and let you let you wrap up with, with some of your thoughts, but um and John, when they bring Jesus, the woman caught in adultery, Jesus bends down and he starts writing. I have no clue what he wrote. Uh, my hunch is he's going back to the law, and he's probably referencing there uh, in Aramaic, in the dirt, maybe even Hebrew. Um, I don't know what language he was writing in. I have some guesses. That's for that's that's a scholarly discussion. Anyway, the law is explicit. When caught in adultery, it's not just the woman. You're supposed to bring the man too and stone them both. My hunch is Jesus was asking them, where's the man? Um, so Jesus took those who were just angry at the woman 
And he corrected them and said, you got to bring the man too because my law is pretty clear. My word's clear and you're not keeping it either. Um, and they all walked away because they recognized, yeah, we, we've broken the law here too. And so um, we've got to be in the public square and let God's word be God's word. Hold on to it. Uh, uphold it. Rightly interpret it. Rightly express God's attitude towards it and all people that it needs to be expressed to, which requires discernment. It requires listening. It requires time. Sometimes it requires being quiet. Um, it requires help. It requires fellowship. But we have to do those things and be able to speak to these issues. I'll shut up. <laughs> no, that's all good. I, I, my last couple statements really just kind of fall in line with that. First, just want to make a clarifying statement, and you kind of hit on this. My earlier comments about the church and pastors was not intended to be taken as they should be preaching on that. So I think you covered yeah. that. And I think, but yeah. I wanted to make that clarification. I just mean, we need to be yeah. able to have those conversations in Absolutely. the appropriate setting. Um, I understood that. I, I figured you did. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you clarifying that, but yeah. I wanted to make sure that that was understood. Um, you know, just finally, number one, pursue truth, real mm. truth, and then speak truth mm. and be doing it in that order. Because it's much easier to speak truth when you've pursued truth, yeah. when you've studied it, when you've read it. And, and and part of that is not just taking things at face value, particularly things in any form of media. Yeah. And I, I, I've been guilty of that myself, even just because it's somebody I trusted or, or typically had followed just because yeah. they say something yeah. doesn't mean they're always 100% right either. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's an important piece. I think number two, and you hit on this too, it's our our tone and our approach is super important. And this is particularly on social media because I think this is where mm. everybody, particularly Christians, really struggle with. And I'm, again, guilty of this too. It's easy to respond in anger or respond sarcastically to someone else who has responded that way. Um, you know, someone coming in and laughing at your opinion and you want to get defensive and those kind of things. And we just, we've got to continue to go at it the right way. And I think yeah. you hit on that. So I don't want, I don't need to spend more time on that. I just want to drive that point home. Sure. Um, do it in love and compassion without compromising truth. I think that's how you said it. And I think that's a hundred percent. And lastly, don't lose heart. Like you said, it's a long battle. Um, that's where believers need to be in community with one another to yeah. lift each other up. And if you're spending time out, it's kind of like you know, there's a reason and being the basketball playoffs are in, there's a reason that most of those guys don't play the full mm-hmm. game. At some point you've got to come back. Yeah. You know, you got to get some pats on the back. You got to get some Gatorade. You got to get a little bit of rest on your legs before you can yeah. go back out and attack and be efficient. Right. And and maybe that's a bad analogy, but that's the same way here too. Like if you're spending out time out in the public square, it's going to yeah. wear you out yeah. and it's going to wear you down. And at some point you've got to be able to come back to your team, yeah. get filled and then be ready to go back out at it again. So don't lose heart on that. Mm, that's a good word. Um, as This is not my notes, but man, I just feel this reverberating in my soul. And I want to say it before we, we close out. Um, Time in the public square will, if you spend time in the public square, and I'm talking you spend time with hurting image bearers, you will be driven back to your Bible um, because you're going to have to go look for answers. And it's going to drive you into deep theological caves. I, I, I say that language around people in our church is familiar because I'm not afraid to tell people I'm, I'm in a theological cave now. There are things in the Bible I don't understand. 
sin affects people in ways I don't understand. It's supernatural. Uh, it's in the flesh, like it's in our bodies, it's in our souls, it's in our minds. And if you spend enough time in a public square, you're going to be forced to wrestle with God. Yeah. Um, because some things, there's no neat, clean answers. They're complex, they're messy. Uh, telling yesterday, he was wrestling uh, with, with a brother who spent time with, been discipling. And, and 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 our comment was we've got the microscope down on this one pretty hard. We're wrestling with like the way the cells fit together. And, and when you're in a public square, you're gonna have to get microscopic and, and very granular in how you see things and let the Bible inform that. But you have to go back to the Bible to force you back to the Bible. So when I tell people, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, it's not just so you have Bible knowledge. Bible knowledge is great. But Bible knowledge without application to the healing of of people. Um, is is no good. Yeah. Um, Paul even said that you know if if I have knowledge and not love, if I have all these things and not love, man, I'm a resounding gong and clanging symbol. And so, Bible knowledge, not just for Bible knowledge, but Bible knowledge, because you're gonna have to wrestle with some theological issues, um, because you're gonna see stuff and you're gonna need God to explain it. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. And so, go to your Bible to to find God and to wrestle with those issues. And when you do that. Um, the Lord has a way of causing us to limp like he did with Jacob. That limp is good, um, but we know him better, uh, and, and and we're ready. We're ready. Uh, so go back to your Bible. Wrestle with it. Guys, we appreciate you listening. Thanks for wrestling with us through this. We hope that you'll find this helpful. Uh, I think this is just a beginning part of the journey for us. Uh, there's no conclusions written here for us other than, Got to pay attention and make sure we're in the game. So we hope you'll join us in the game, Public Square. We know you guys, many of you guys are already doing that. If this is fresh for you, um, get in. Get in the game. Take this counsel, uh, these five things that I shared with you, the things Chris shared with you, and uh, get to practice. But we appreciate you. We hope that you will send us an email. If you have any questions, anything you would like to ask, you're welcome to send that to us at Theology and Dirt gmail.com those of you guys who see us on Sundays or any other time during the week if you have a question you'd like us to address hit us up we're glad to talk about anything we appreciate you also by the way there's a link down there if you want to support the podcast you can do that Um, the blog has sermon notes and all that stuff on it Um, YouTube all that good stuff so give us five star rating share the podcast and uh, as it's growing we appreciate it you guys have a great day talk to you soon out my head keeps spinning, I go to sleep and keep grinning, if this is just the beginning, my life is gonna be beautiful, I've sunshine enough to spread, it's just like the fella said, tell me quick, ain't love a kick in the head.